I titled my sermon, Remembering Love. And, you know, one of the things that struck me about when you read the, the, the four Gospels and the Corinthian letters about communion, about that Last Supper, was how fragmented the different accounts of communion. So you have to look at the different stories from one book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Corinthian letters, and then you kind of get a picture of what happened that night. So if you look at Luke, I happen to like Luke. Um, you know, uh, if you read what Luke is all about, he's a physician, I'm a physician. We have something in common, so he connects with me, sort of. So I said, well, this is the, the key verse that I think that will be able to deliver the point that I want to make to you today. So before we go into that, let me offer another word of prayer, and then we'll delve into this topic. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to be, to be able to open your word and to be able to study it and invite the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts to reveal yourself to us and to make known to us what your purpose and what your plans for us in this world. Once again, we invite your presence here and may the message of my uh, mouth be your message delivered to all our church family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Luke 22, 19. It says, and he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And one of the key, verse, the key words that struck me there was the word that I highlighted there, remembrance. Um, so I got busy. And um, let's see. Let me, uh, let me go down to the audience. Hello? Um, let me ask you a question. And if you have a dramatic memory, um, just raise your hand. How many of you remember what happened the day of September 11, 2001. Well, oh, you remember that? You weren't, you, were you born back then? What were you doing? I was just close to getting off work from Modesto Rehab. That's a hospital. That's at six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, it was at seven, around seven. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anybody else back here? What were you doing September 11th? Uh, my boyfriend at the time yeah. was at work and called me and let me know that we were under attack. Okay. How about back here, Jean? I was getting ready to go to work. I was driving to Fresno. Um, let's see. Does anybody here remember the assassination of John 
Kennedy? Were you, uh, I mean, you know, not the people who weren't born yet. What, what happened? What were you doing? Uh, I was getting ready to go to a dance. I was in the third grade, and I remember the teacher cried when she announced it and showed Walter Conkright. Is that how you pronounce yep, his name? And his, his eyes watered. So if you were in the third grade, I must have been in the second grade. <laughs> um, I remember being at home, and we had a black and white TV. It was very small, and my mother was crying. You know, when um, I remember the, the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, but wouldn't you agree that these are events that you will not ever forget? Yeah? You know, one of the things that struck me about Jesus was, he always says, remember, remember. And uh, you can look at these texts. They're in the Bible. Deuteronomy, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Psalms, Exodus. And you look at the text and you go, why in the world does God always says, remember? We forget? Well, can you forget September 11? Can you forget the John F. Kennedy? As long as you live, can you forget that? Yeah? So it's curious that when Jesus broke the bed, he said, you know, I mean, he could have said something like, uh, you know, bless the bread, which he did. He gave thanks, right? And said something totally different. You know, and, and we know that the, the Last Supper, we call it the Last Supper, is a farewell supper, as you know, right? Jesus, later that night, was going to get arrested. The next day, he was going to be put on trial. And then in the afternoon, he's going to be crucified, and he dies. So, this dinner, supper, was very important. Uh, several things happened during that night, right? During the supper, right? Joe had a great uh, sermon last time we were here. Jesus dressed up. My, my picture of that is probably, he's probably in low end clothes because you have to take off your clothes knelt down and washed the disciples' feet as an example to all of us. And then, that night, also, the, the betrayer was revealed, wasn't it? Judas Iscariot, he said, the bread that I give this to, and then he left. And then, if you look at John 14, John 14 is an amazing chapter because you know, dinner time is an intimate 
social event, isn't it? And in John 14, you can see the exchange. There was three central questions in John 14, and it was a conversation, kind of an interview, in fact, of Jesus, and he answers. And after that interview, they all left. I, I know this is not a um, um, lecture, but I have to go into this. Because one of the things that I want to explore with you today is this concept of, of memory. You know, there's a whole science that studies human behavior and memory. I'm an anesthesiologist, and you know, I can tell you, I can manipulate memory very well if I had the, the bad intention to do. And it's, you know, uh, under sedation and under general anesthesia, the brain becomes very suggestible. You guys know that. So, one thing about memory that puzzled scientists over time is how does the brain store memory? So this is the human brain, and you can see in different colors. Uh, for example, right here, it's called the precentral gyrus, postcentral. This is where the sensory uh, part of the brain um, you know, gets input from our touches, and the purple part is the one that initiates action. Uh, we know that part of this area right here is where speech comes in, all right? Um, we know that the hypothalamus is kind of a mysterious organ, but we're finding out more and more and more that it's kind of the conductor of things inside the brain. It's located in the central brain, and what it does is that, you know, we have all these five senses that come in, through the eyes, through the ears, our touch, our taste, and our smell. And it actually processes and say, this memory goes this way. This memory goes this way. All right? We know that to study something, you have to take it apart, analyze it. And we've classified memory into three different types, short-term memory, working memory, long-term memory. And the way they do that now is we have PET scanners that actually, if you put somebody and have them read, have them study a thing multiple, multiple times, you can see which part of the brain is active. All right? So as it turns out, memory, when you divide it even further, this is what we're particularly interested in, long-term memory. This is what makes you remember September 11 or the JFK assassination. Okay? Short-term sensory or short-term memory, that's the stuff where, um, let's see, an example is um, Harold, this is the telephone number of the person you want to call, 209-708-6912. Remember that? <laughs> you may, you may, but you remember it just for an instant, just enough to dial the number and I'll ask him in five minutes, guess what? It's gone, all right? <laughs> Working memory, and uh, this is for the students in the audience. Uh, this is where you cram the night before. <laughs> you know, for a, sh for a small test, it's fine. Uh, but for a big test, uh, it doesn't work quite as well. But, you know, we still do it. 
I used to remember cramming. Um, this is a short-term memory. This, this short-term and working memory is, for those of you who likes computers, the other word for them is called random access memory. They're the RAM, right? The RAM is that part of the computer that stores short-term memory. After you turn off the computer, guess what? It's gone, all right? Long-term memory, on the other hand, for a computer, it's stored in the hard drive. It's a physical location in the hard drive. Okay? And the computer, when you ask it to do that, to access pictures, for example, digital photos of something that you have in your computer, it will go to that part of the hard drive and retrieve it. And it will forever be there, unless you erase it. Well, in the human brain, long-term memory, as it turns out, is stored in different parts of the brain. It depends on where the hypothalamus kind of tells you. Like certain areas of the brain, for example, the amygdala is, is, is an area where memories are associated with emotion. So when somebody said, my teacher cried during the JFK assassination, all right, that part of the brain, part of that memory is stored in that amygdala. And what happens is that your memory is further you know, divided into different areas. There's what you call implicit memory, unconscious. Um, if, I, if I ask you, uh, do you know how to bike? Yes. When was the last time you had a bike? Two years ago. You think you could ride a bike again? Yes. Okay. That is unconscious memory. That's implicit memory. Um, conscious memory, you know, I mean, I can ask you, oh, what's the capital of France? Okay, all right. Explicit memory. Okay, that's, that's part of what you call declarative memory, and there's these, uh, we further divide explicit memory into episodic and semantic, semantic memory, like facts and concept, like this experience and events. But as it turns out that these are areas of the brain, the events, traumatic events, or events that I've, we've talked about, they're stored in different areas of the brain. And so as time goes by, what happens? Some part of the brain loses that part, storage. So what happens to memory? They become hazy. But just like a computer where the memory is stored in a hard drive, memories in humans and in animals is stored in a physical location. What happens is for that physical location to occur, an actual, an actual synapse has to be made. That means that the cell, the neuron of the, of the, in the brain, has to make a new connection. That means DNA synthesis, translation, and all that. That means it's a permanent physical location in the brain. And guess what happens when you keep studying the same topic or getting the same events over and over and over and over again? That physical connection, just like a muscle, becomes thicker and the connection becomes stronger, and hence memories become stored better and better over time. Well, well, what does that mean? So we know that memory and events gets initially, you know, inputted into our different senses. They become working memories, and then the hypothalamus consolidates this memory. Some memories you can't remember 
but there are some memories that you can't because they have a, a strong emotional bond. So this is a slice of the brain if you slice the brain this way. And as you can see, uh, it's not a very clear picture, but the prefrontal cortex is where short-term and working memory is stored, right here in front of the brain. They come in, boom. But if you don't, but if you don't study or repeat or do whatever to store it in a long-term memory, it just stays there and it's gone in, in, a, few, in a few seconds, in fact. The cerebral cortex, as it turns out, is like a huge hard drive for us. Different areas of, of it gets different information from the thalamus, and it gets stored. The cerebellum here is what you call conditioned timing. If you ask somebody, hey, uh, can you hit a baseball? And a baseball player will tell you, sure. How does he do that time and time again? Okay. Without the cerebellum, they won't be able to do that because they're timing the pitch, right? For memory to become long-term memory, okay, these things have to occur. We call them reinforcement. For example, at, at a grade school and for teachers in the audience, right, what do you do with your kids? You keep them, repeat things over and over and over again. That's how they learn. They repeat things, and pretty soon, you know, they imitate things, and then it becomes part of the hardware. Sometimes there's emotional arousal. This is where the event, September 11, JFK assassination, it was such a strong emotional event. It happened only one time, right? We, di we didn't repeat those things, right? But we can still remember them like it was yesterday. All right? And problem is, with emotional arousal, the brain gets flooded with all kinds of stress hormones, and it makes a connection kind of permanent. Focused, conscious attention. This is where we, as Christians, when we study something, we study the Bible, what do we do? We meditate on it, right? We study it time and time again. And as we study the Bible repeatedly, the connections, the hardwire, become stronger and stronger. During sleep, they've done classic experiments where if you suggest something during sleep versus an awake person, the person that asleep will remember things better. Hence the suggestive state of the brain. Because as it turns out, even, even in anesthesia, under anesthesia, the deepest part of anesthesia, your senses, especially your ears, they don't quit working. They keep going. They can hear. It's just not being processed, but they're, they're working. You see? Uh, when they play games, um, Lumosity, ever, ever heard of that? Okay. It's supposed to prevent dementia because what it does is it keeps the brain working and making new connections all the time. So if it can't hardwire in one pathway, it will build other pathways. All right? Mastering a new skill, right? If you go and you're, you don't happen to, you happen to love painting but didn't get time to do it, now you're retired and you go, I want to go to MJC and learn how to paint. 
okay? Trying mnemonic devices. You know, when you associate you know, words with a, with a letter, you seem to remember things better, right? Well, what is the point of all this? This is the best explanation of memory that I have ever come up with, and I have to read it to you. It says, fundamentally, memory represents a change in who we are. Our habits, our ideologies, our hopes and fears are all influenced by what we remember of our past. At the most basic level, we remember because the connections between our brain's neurons change. Each experience primes the brain for the next experience so that the physical stuff we're made of reflects our history like mountains reflect geologic areas. Memory also represents a change in who we are because it is predictive of who we will become. We remember things more easily if we have been exposed to similar things before so that we remember from the past has a lot to do with what we can learn in the future. Whoa. Things that we remember becomes part of us physically. All right? Remember this, chap this, this verse? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think of these things. That's because our memories, when they occur, becomes a permanent physical part of us. And so we meditate on these things. Let me, uh, let me read this one. If you open your Bibles on Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 12, Deuteronomy 4, 6 to 12. What I highlight this is, for example, uh, on verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then this is one of the commands that Moses left with the children of Israel while they were in the desert. It says, these commandments I give you today to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk to them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get them. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them in your foreheads. Write them on your door frames. When the Lord God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a large land, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods that you did not provide, Wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are sad, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. You think the Israelites were going to forget the Lord, what the Lord has done to them? Split the Red Sea, let water flow from the rock, fed them manna every morning. But he's still reminding them to not forget. I mean, one of the verses in the Ten Commandments, right, starts with, remember the Sabbath day. So, what's the point? 
part of our problem when we celebrate communion every quarter, as you know, we don't have an emotional connection to that event. None. It happened 2,000 years ago, right? All we can do is read the story. And when you're not there, what happens? the connections slowly degrade over time. And so when Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper, he was very specific. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Because he knows for those disciples in the room, they're not, they're not going to forget anytime soon, right? They wrote about it in letters and books we call the Bible today. But who was he saying to when he said, do this in remembrance of me? Don't we have a large land? Don't we have flourishing cities that we did not build? Don't we have wells that we did not dig, vineyards that we didn't plant? The United States today, folks, is one of the developed countries in the world. And, you know, our, our, our poor in this state is the envy of the world. And when you live in comfort, and when you live insecurity, it's easy to forget what happened 2,000 years ago. Don't you think? We don't have an emotional connection to that event, you see. Think about it. The creator of the universe was there in the beginning of time, came particularly to this world, and we know there's many, many, many billions of other worlds out there, come to this particular planet with all its power and majesty became a baby, became a human being, submitted to an unfair trial from an accuser that his one of his friends, close friends in fact, a trial that was by all standards of today was what? Rigged. And that the jury and the verdict was out even before the trial started. An innocent man betrayed punished with the most cruel of punishments, if that is not love, if that's not the reminder of what love is, my question to you is, what is? And so every quarter, we go out and celebrate 
the communion. We break the bread. We drink the wine. All symbols of an event that happened 2,000 years ago to remind us what the price of sin My dear family, this is the thing that I wanted to bring to you today. Remembering love as Jesus has revealed to us. If we can't form an emotional bond with that event, love is the greatest emotion there is, right? It's the king of all emotions. But yet he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the more we participate and the more we do communion, it's a reminder to us of what was done a long time ago. And that permanent connection, guess what? When Jesus said, I will live in you through my Holy Spirit, guess what? Physically, it happens. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, and to the service of communion to remind us of what occurred a long time ago. Keep those connection, connections strong so that it becomes part of us, that we live it, we breathe it, and that character will reflect to others. As we separate for communion, dear Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to bless the service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think there's instructions on how we're separating.